Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me again today. I want to revisit what I ministered on last week uh, because there's still some things in me that the Lord is stirring me up about. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and uh, we will look at some scriptures we looked at last week and, and uh, comment on them again and then go further. There's yet, there are yet some things that uh, the Lord wants to bring out about this. I tell you what, we're living in a time of revival. Amen. Glory to God. The Lord said seasons of revival, times of revival come from the presence of the Lord. And we're in a time of revival. I said we're in a time of revival. Glory to God. If you're not in it, you can get in it because revival is here. Amen. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter three, verse number one. It said in those days, John the Baptist came, came preaching in the wilderness and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Glory to God. We pointed out last week that the preaching of John the Baptist introduced a new move of God. Uh, we, we've talked about revival in the past and we've asked this question, what is revival? John the Baptist's ministry is a good illustration of revival. If you want to know what revival is, go back over to Habakkuk, turn to the Old Testament, go to Habakkuk. If you can find Zechariah, head to the left, a couple of small chapters, you'll see Habakkuk chapter three, Habakkuk three. I'm gonna wait on you to get there because it's important that you see what we're talking about. Habakkuk chapter three. Still hear pages turning. Glory to God. Habakkuk three, verse number one, says the prophet of Habakkuk, the prayer, excuse me, of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shigaonath. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, everybody say this next word, revive. revive. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. What known? Your work. In wrath, remember mercy. Revival is merciful. Amen. Now look at verse number three. Here's, here's the answer. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light and had he had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. I want you to notice the prophet prayed for revival. He said, Lord, revive the work. Amen. And in answer to that, God came. Amen. And if, there's, if, there, if you want to, to define revival in two words, those would be it. God came. Amen. 
God came. Glory to God. Now we know that God is omnipresent, but we also know that he's more present in some places than he is in other places. He's more present at some times than he is at other times. In other words, his, I'm talking about his manifested presence. Amen. That's all this could have been talking about when it said God came because God was already there if you look at it on the broader scale. But God came, that means God showed up in an unusual way. And so that's what revival is. When we speak of revival in the classic sense, we speak of God coming to us in a manifestation of his power and glory that is far beyond anything we normally experience. Revival is such a display of God's holiness and presence that often human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. It is God breaking into the consciousness of men in majesty and glory. We see times like that throughout the Bible. You could not deny that when, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, that God showed up. The mountain was on fire. There was darkness. There was fire. There was smoke. The people trembled. There was a display of God's power. Nothing like that had ever happened before in the earth. God showed up on Mount Sinai in the giving of the law. Praise God. We see it when the temple was, uh, was dedicated in David's day. And it says that they brought all of the things, rather in Solomon's day, all of the things brought into the temple. And it says the glory of the Lord filled the house of God so that the priest could not stand up to minister. God showed up in in an unusual way. Glory to God. You could not deny that when Jesus was born, there in in that lonely stable in Bethlehem, and the skies lit up out on the hillside where the shepherds were with the glory of God and the angels of God proclaiming his glory. You know something was happening in the earth that hadn't happened before, amen? And, and, and it got people's attention. That marked something new. Well, the preaching of John the Baptist marked something new. I said the preaching of John the Baptist introduced something new and different. In fact, go over with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. Hallelujah. Excuse me, it's Luke 16. Luke 16, verse number 16. Luke 16, 16. It says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, that Jesus was speaking here, he said, since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Notice he said, the law and the prophets were until John and since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and people are pressing into that. What does he say? He was saying that something changed when John came on the scene and when he started preaching, it marked a division in time. In fact, if you want to see it a little more clearly, uh, go back to Malachi. That's the last chapter in the Old Testament. You know, from Malachi to Matthew had been 400 years. 
And there was not another prophetic word spoken. There were no prophets. It was silence from God for 400 years. Notice what it says. Have you found Malachi 4? Verse number 4. This is how the Old Testament closed. These are the last words of the Old Testament and then there's 400 years of silence. Here's how the Old Testament closes. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Jesus said that Elijah, and, 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 and the Bible says that, Jerem, that, that uh, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus said concerning him, he said, if you can receive it, this is Elijah who was to come. And notice the law and Elijah. So Jesus said it this way. He said, the law and the prophets prophesied unto John and since that time, the kingdom of God is being preached. Something changed, something happened. God was moving in a new way. Go back to Matthew 3 again. Matthew 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. But Isaiah is not the only one spoke of it. Spoke of it. Malachi spoke, spoke as well. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. That wasn't because he didn't like better food. The difference with John the Baptist and the people around him is he had lost interest in the momentary fleeting pleasures of life. He was caught up in something bigger than just filling his belly. Amen. He had lost interest in the fluffy things of life, the easy things of life. There's nothing wrong with those things, but I will tell you, when you get in revival, you're more interested in God than you are in anything else. Maybe you won't end up eating bugs, but John the Baptist did. Washed it down with wild honey. Now notice, then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. If you've ever looked in your Bible maps, that's a big area. All Jerusalem, Judea, and then all the region around the Jordan River. It says they all went out to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan, confess, confessing their sins. After 400 years, there had been silence from God. No prophet speaking. 
And suddenly John came on the scene, glory to God, announcing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And it says the people came from everywhere. They not only just came, they didn't come just to look, they came out to him, but they were also baptized with, by him and confessed their sins. I'm telling you, a move of God was on. The nation was being stirred at its foundation. Glory to God. We have a lot to learn about revival today from this revival. Amen. Go over to chapter 11, Matthew 11. And let's look at verse seven. I know we looked at these verses last week, but it's good to to look at them again. Verse seven says, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. He said from the time that John began to preach, he said the kingdom of God began to suffer violence. The kingdom of God suffered violence and the violent began to take it by force. The NIV says that the the kingdom of God forcefully, began to be forcefully advancing. The New Century Version says it was going forward in strength. In other words, the kingdom of God, which has already always existed, and we noted last week without getting into the weeds on this, is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is, encompasses everything that God is, his reign it, it, it extends to the earth, extends to the heavens, it extends to the far reaches of the universe, everything that God reigns in, that's the kingdom of God. But then Matthew is the only one that referred to the kingdom of heaven and that is the kingdom of God in the sense that Jesus came to the earth and his coming signified the, the beginning of the, of the reign of God among men. And so the kingdom of heaven is encompassed in the kingdom of God. But he's saying here that the kingdom of heaven began to be forcefully advancing. It started going forward in strength. And it didn't happen when Jesus started preaching. It started when John started preaching. People began to respond to it. How did they they enter into it? Well, they went out to hear him. They were obedient to what they heard. They responded to what they heard. When he said, come and be baptized, washing away your sins, they came and were baptized and they confessed their sins. In other words, they responded to what God was doing. He says the kingdom of heaven 
from the preaching of, of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It's going forward in strength and the violent take it by force. The Amplified Bible says violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. That's what taking it by force is. The, an example of that is the centurion. He came to Jesus and said, I'm, I'm gonna have my servant healed. I'm gonna have my servants at home and is sick, but I'm gonna have my servant healed. You speak the word and it will be done. He said, you don't even need to come and lay hands on my servant. You just speak the word, glory to God. What was he doing? He's responding with, with zeal and with passion, glory to God, amen. The, new, the, uh, the uh, Kenneth Weiss translation says, and the strong and forceful ones, the strong and forceful ones claim it for themselves eagerly. See, if you're gonna have revival, <clears throat> you're gonna have to go after it. You're not gonna just sit in the church pew and on your precious little seat there and just nod in agreement, raise your hand every now and then and walk out and say, didn't we have a wonderful service? That's not going after the things of God. When you go after the things of God, it upsets your life. It turns things upside down. Your today is different than yesterday and your tomorrow is different still because you begin to respond to what God is doing and you're, and you're passionate about it. You say, I've got to have it. I've got to have what God has for me. That's a response. That's taking it by force. Kingdom of God suffering violence and the violent take it. Faith is not passive. Everything faith lays hold of, it has to do it by force. Because the enemy will fight you every inch of the way. For everything you lay hands on, everything you lay hold of by faith. The enemy will fight you. Circumstances will fight you. Your family will fight you. Your pocketbook will fight you. Your body, your job, people, your neighbors, it doesn't matter. This world will stand against and oppose, but faith takes it, glory to God. And says, no, I'm not gonna be talked out of it. I'm not gonna be worn down. I'm not gonna be discouraged. I'm not changing my mind. I have a vision. I'm single-minded on what God's doing and I'm gonna have it in my life and I don't care if nobody around me agrees with me. I'm gonna have revival in my life. I'm gonna have the blessing of God in my life. The violent, take it. Take it by force. Glory to God. Revival must be aggressively seized. It must be laid hold of. Otherwise, it won't advance or go forward. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, since the days of John, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. It's, 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 it's moving forward. It's advancing. The reason it was advancing is because people were pressing into it said they pressed into what John had to say. Well, that's a lesson for us today. If we're gonna have what God's doing in these last days, we have to press into it. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Look, at, look with me at John chapter three. I know we looked at these last week again, but that's all right. John three. Hallelujah. I might preach it again yet, I tell you. <laughs> John three, 26. 
Hallelujah. Find my verse. Hallelujah. That's not it. Yes. It says in verse number. Well, let's start in ver- let's start in verse number twenty-three. Now John was also baptizing. And Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute among some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was it? Or he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing from himself unless it has been given to him from heaven. Verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not of Christ, I have, I have been sent, I have, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. <clears throat> Excuse me, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Verse 30, <clears throat> he must increase, but I must decrease. Pardon me just a minute. I'll get me a, something to drink. Hallelujah. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you're going to have revival in your life, that's going to have to be your motto. He must increase, I must decrease. What does that mean? That means we humble ourselves. Amen. That means we submit ourselves to God. That means it's no longer about us and our way and our will. It's all about his way and his will. James said, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, God's not going to humble you. God's not going to humble you. He says, humble yourself. John said, he must increase, I must decrease. Notice the increasing of God comes before the decreasing of yourself. If you turn that around and say, I have to decrease and God increase, then you're putting the focus on you. He said, he must increase. He must increase. He must increase. See, we have to see ourselves as having a part to play in this end time revival. We have to see that it's not just about God doing something. It's about, it's about us responding to him. Putting ourselves in a place where he is increasing in our lives. What does it mean for God to increase? Now we know God is, is omnipresent. We know God is Omnipotent. We know God is all everything, all the time. In, in that sense, he can't increase, but he can increase in my life. His, his presence, his power, his will, his plan can increase in us. And that's what he's talking about. He must increase in me. If you get enough, if you seek God enough, you'll see yourself decreasing. You'll see the natural things of life 
began to decrease. But if you turn that around and you say, well, I'm just going to try to buckle down and do better, you'll buckle under. Yeah. But if you'll go after God, if you'll press into it and say, I'm taking this by force, I'm going to have everything God has for me and, and, and I want you, I'm, I'm humbling myself, I'm submitting myself to you, I want your increase. I want you to increase in power. I want you to increase in revelation. I want you to increase in your will in my life. I just, I want, I want it all. Show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Impart to me everything that's in your word. You go after him, glory to God. Hallelujah. We have to have people like that. Amen. Now it does, mean, it does matter what we do. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what we do. It does matter. But we have to start with putting our trust in God and our focus on him. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. said, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master and prepared for every good work. Well, praise the Lord. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, how do you do that? Just get so full of God. I said, just get so full of God. Just get so taken up with God. Just, so, just spend enough time with God to where the things of this world lose their allure. You'll find yourself being cleansed of the things that, in the natural that will just fall off from you. Things that aren't important. Things that, that don't, maybe aren't necessarily sin. But their weights, you know, we've talked about that before. There's a consecration involved. He, he's not going to consecrate us. We consecrate ourselves. Consecration asks this question. Is this activity that I'm in, is this, uh, are these things that I spend time with and spend time on, these interests of mine, these pursuits of mine, are they helping me in my assignment for God? Are they furthering me in what God's called me to do? Are they helping me or, or are they a distraction? Amen. He said we need to clean, cleanse ourselves. How do you do that? Again, having him increase. He'll in, I tell you what, God, you put your attention on God he will increase himself. He'll increase himself before you even give up things that need to be given up. You, I tell you what, you focus on God, you start hungering after him, spending more time in his word, more time in prayer. I tell you what, he will increase. And as he increases, the things of the natural realm will start to decrease in your life. You'll, you'll become sort of like John the Baptist. You're not going to necessarily eat bugs, but I'm going to tell you what, you'll be less interested in the things of this life and the things of this life that you do enjoy, the blessings of God, they'll no longer have your heart. They'll no longer dominate you or control you. 
Using this world, the Bible says, but not abusing it. Using it for the good. Using it for the glory of God. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are you in Matthew 11 or have you turned? Go to Matthew 11 again. I said this, but I think I want to repeat it. Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, verse 11, among those who are born of woman, there has not arisen a greater one than John the Baptist. We have a tendency to look up to powerful leaders. We have a tendency to look up to great men and women of God. We have a tendency to to rejoice in their anointing. We have a tendency to want to live our lives vicariously through their great achievements. Because their anointing, their power, their blessing endorses and proves that the word of God is true but we don't necessarily lay hold of it. We're satisfied if they laid hold of it. He said, there's not been one born among women greater than John the Baptist, but he who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. That means every one of us, we, we can't look to John the Baptist, we can't look to, to, to uh, D.L. Moody, we can't look to Smith Wigglesworth, We can't look to Billy Graham. We can't look to Kenneth Hagin. We can't look to great men and women of God even in our day that that we've known. We have to realize that that, that if we're submitted to God, if we'll push into the kingdom, glory to God, we can do great things for God. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist only had a limited ministry. He could only go so far. We can go unlimitedly. We can press into everything. I mean, we can press in and lay hold of everything. There's not a person in this congregation that cannot be so on fire for God, so consumed with God, that people around you say, I don't even know what's happened to that man. I don't even know what's happened to that woman. She's like a different person. She's on fire for God. Everybody can have that. Anyone can do that. God will make you such a firebrand, such a, a witness, such a powerful Christian, such, a, such a, an influential person that, that people just recognize that, that there's something about you that, that calls on them to respond to the God that's in you. The least in the kingdom is greater, Jesus said it, greater than John the Baptist. That fiery preacher, that that wild man living out in the woods, eating bugs, robbing honeycombs. (laughs) You say, well, I don't want to look like that. What do you want to look like? Who do you want to look like? You want to look like Hollywood? You want to look like your favorite country star? 
Who do you want to look like? But what are you trying to model in life? No, what John looked like was a man consumed with the plan of God, consumed with the word of the Lord. He didn't care what anybody thought. And you know what? As weird as he was, as out there as he was, as far removed from the norms of society as he was, someone that you'd think nobody would pay attention to him, they came to him from everywhere because of the anointing, the power of God. They didn't care what he he smelled like. They didn't care what he looked like. When he came preaching, I'm telling you what, there was fire in his mouth. And it says the people from everywhere came and yielded to the move of God that was in him. Hallelujah. Who do you want to look like? I tell you what, I want to look like what I'm supposed to look like. I want to look like a person so taken with God's presence, so taken with the gospel, so taken with the truth, so taken with God's power that people look beyond the natural appearance and see something on the inside that that causes a hunger to arise. Hallelujah. That's what revival does to people. Amen. Amen. When you've got, I tell you what, when, when revival uh, uh, carry, is carried in the heart of a man, people are drawn to that. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let's look at, we'll get into what I want to talk about today. Praise the Lord. Go to John 4. John 4. And we, it, This will be pretty quick. I got a late start anyway. John 4, and hallelujah, that's not where I wanted to go, pardon me, I, 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 in the last minute I redid my notes this morning, and uh, I've obviously entered something wrong, but that's okay, I know where I'm at, <laughs> oh Hallelujah. Go back to uh, Matthew 3. Glory to God. Matthew 3. This is what I want to say. Verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah said the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Do you notice that it it took a man to prepare the way of the Lord? In order for Jesus, talking about preparing, preparing the way of the Lord Jesus, making his, the his there is the Lord Jesus. John was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus' way had to be prepared by somebody else. It just wasn't up to Jesus to just come and plow through himself. Somebody had to prepare his way. If the way of the Lord in his first advent would have to be prepared, if a way would have to be prepared for the Lord in his first advent, what makes you think the way of the Lord will not need to be prepared for his second advent? 
If somebody had to prepare the first time he came, somebody would have to prepare for him to come back. Now, wouldn't that make sense? Jesus didn't just come out there and and just burst on the scene and start preaching right from the get-go. John had to go out there first. God's looking for people who will prepare the way of the Lord today. Preparing the way of the Lord comes about by taking the revival of God, the move of God that is for these last days and saying, I don't care about anything else. I'm going after this move of God. I'm going after this revival. It involves preparing the way of the Lord. involves being that violent one that takes it by force. It involves prayer. It involves acting on the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, to say, to go, to give, to, to, to respond, you just got it in your heart to obey. And you might not be perfect at doing that, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. Amen. Preparing the way of the Lord. I tell you what, God's looking for the church to prepare his way in these last days. What does it say in, in Acts 3? Hold your place here in Matthew. Go over to Acts 3. Talking about revival. I quoted it. Repent. Verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing, other translations say seasons of revival, may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Notice he said, if we'll do our part, if we'll repent, if we will press in, putting everything together we've talked about. If we'll press in, if we'll be violent and take the, the, the revival and the move of God that he's offering in these last days, if we'll take it by force, if we'll prepare the way of the Lord, he said times of refreshing will come. They come from the presence of the Lord and he will send Jesus. Will he send Jesus? If we press in, if we prepare the way of the Lord, will he send him? Yeah, he'll send him. If we prepare the way of the Lord in revival, there'll be more revival. The prophet prayed, God, revive your work. And God came. He's saying here, do your part and Jesus will come. We know he'll come in his second advent, but he'll come in the meantime. He'll show up in a bigger way, in a greater way. His presence will be more in manifestation. He'll show up when hands are laid on the sick, glory to God. He'll show up whenever you witness to people and conviction will come upon them and the spirit of God will deal with their hearts. If we'll press in, Jesus will come. He'll come to you. He'll come to us. He'll manifest himself. He's looking for somebody to prepare a way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Notice, make his path straight. Make his path straight. Not crooked, 
You know, if you want to get from, from one point to another point, the quickest way to get there is to go straight there. Make his way straight means not turning to one side or another. Not detouring. We are where we are right now. Listen real carefully. We are where we are right now because we've not gone straight to the prize. This revival we're in could be much further along if the way had been made straight, but there have been too many detours. There have been too many side turns. And God is so faithful and he's so patient. If it had been me, I'd have said, I'd just wipe these people out and get somebody else. They keep turning to this side. They keep turning to all kind of flaky doctrines. They keep turning to weird, you know, gospel fads and things that don't produce anything. Keep turning to this side, that side. These flaky little things that come through the body of Christ, they get people all distracted. I'd have said, be done with them. Raise up somebody else. But God just keeps saying, no, make his paths straight. Quit turning to the side. Quit going. The body of Christ has been on detour after detour after detour. I know just in, just in my uh, uh, time of ministry, in the last 37 years, I've seen these little detours into all kinds of things that get, us, get the body of Christ off the coming of the Lord. Make his path straight. Make his path straight. Are you going to be one that will make his path straight? Amen. He's looking for people that'll do that. He's looking for people that'll, that'll prepare the way of the Lord. Glory to God. I'm going to be one of them. Amen. I want you to stand up with me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you serious? Are you serious about revival? Are, are you serious about taking this by force? Laying hold of, not letting anything deter you. Are you serious about it? Do you want revival in these last days? In, first of all, in you, in this church, in our nation, in the world? The Lord is waiting to return. And it's not up, it's not a hundred percent up to him. He's, he's working with us to prepare his way. Are you going to be one of those? If, if this morning you are determined to lay hold of the kingdom of heaven and take it by force. If you are determined to be one of those who, who, will, who will be a preparer of the way of the Lord, I want you just to come down here as an act of, of, of consecration. Just come line up right down here at the front. Glory to God. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just, just gather around. You don't have to line up. Just, just gather. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I'm just going to pray. Glory to God. Just gather in. Fill in all in here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, I pray for these consecrated ones this morning. Father, who've, who've presented themselves to you in consecration to be vessels unto honor, prepared, ready for the master's use. Father, these have come today because they want to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. They want to prepare his way and make his path straight. Glory to God. Father, hear our heart today. Hear our heart. Hear the hunger and and the cry of our heart, Father, that we want to see the revival, the move of God in all its fullness. Starting with, with each of us individually first. Father, that we can be a John the Baptist to people around us. That we can be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. That we can be so filled with your heart and your purpose that people see there's something different. And the need of their heart they perceive can be met with what we have. Father, I I pray for us, myself and all of these who have assembled. Glory to God that you'll give us the grace we need as a church and the direction of the spirit that we need. Show us how to act. Direction, give direction to us, Father, in our time alone with you as we feed on your faithfulness and your goodness, Father, give direction, insight, leading. Glory to God. Father, anoint all of us who've assembled this morning. The anointing, the power, the grace. Do work on the inside of each of us. You know every heart here. You know every one of us. You know every situation. You know every life. You know every personality. You know every weakness, every strength. Do a work individually in each of us that we will be carriers and proclaimers of revival. That this world will be stirred as we encounter it that this world and people around us will be will be made aware of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and that they too will want to be ready for his return. Glory to God. Father, we say today, all of us collectively, we will take it by force. We will lay hold of it by force. This kingdom that you're offering this entire world, we take it by force in order to proclaim it. Glory to God. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for your hand upon each one of us today. Glory to God. Helping us, working with us, inspiring us, empowering us. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Revival is in us. We're in revival and revival is in us. Amen. Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.